right, Talking Tarot Podcast, episode one. Hopefully of many, many more to come. It's going to talk about Sabres hockey and NHL. I'm Jeff, and I am joined here with Andrew and Ryan. Hello. Howdy. You guys excited for hockey? I know I am. I mean, it was a big day today. You can't really... You can't really not be excited for a day like this. You got Darlene signing his contract. You've got this big talk about the roster being set. I mean, there's a lot to dive into today. It's hard not to be excited. Yep, a lot. Yeah, you know, I got. I got to ask always. this though. I got. I have to. I'm gonna go right out of the gate right here, punching it. Uh do you think that the Darlene deal was done already, and they just waited, or do you think? They're still piecing it together. I think they were hammering out details. I mean, these contracts, they don't get figured out overnight. And I mean, something like this, you don't sit on it and sit on it and sit on it until the roster's set. I mean, that's not a reason you sit on contract talks. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was I think it was closer than what a lot of people think. And I think it was just the right time to announce it. It was probably solved and figured out over the weekend or something and just holding off till Monday, hitting the new press cycle. So I don't think it was figured out months ago, but I think this was the right time to release it and give that information out. Yeah, there's always like a uh, with the contracts. There's always like the the the, the hand sketch that's put out first. And it's there. It's close. It's but nothing's ever finalized. And then especially with us being the bigger town like we are, you always got to make things more special than it should be. <laughs> bigger town. Yeah. Ho- bigger town wrong. Hockey town. <laughs> yes. Yes. That that's yeah, what I meant. I know in the uh, the press. Conference. Um, Kevin Adams was referring to Saturday a couple times. There's over the phone on Saturday, so I know they were etching it out. But you know, they had all off season. There was those rumors that it was set in stone. Then there was other rumors that Darlene is disgruntled with how it's how long it's taking. Oh, well, you know the rumor mill. But so, and you know the Sabers for some reason they just enjoy dropping this right at the opening of the season. That that's what I was meaning. We always got to yeah. be special like that, and it's just how we are. Well, and then we're one up by Winnipeg no- announcing the double signing, and and I mean that's just Wait, that's what hockey Winnipeg, sounds too. Winnipeg did a double signing. Yes, I guess wow, you are that, you are way. behind here, sir. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Winnipeg did a double signing of uh, it was Halibut and Shifley, both Shifley, seven years both at eight point five million. million. So, Sabres fans, we are not getting Hellebuck. The Sabres are not trading for Hellebuck. Nope, not after that. Which, that's surprising. With he- all of Hellebuck's talks at the end of last season, that he doesn't want to be there. He wants it to be at a contender. He wants all of that. And then he signs a seven. How much was I it? I don't know. Seven, seven years, eight and a half million. Which is which, a lot for a goalie. Which is steep for a goalie. I mean, Yeah, that's that, why. Yes. Yeah. But money. That's steep it, for it, a goalie. Yeah. And, and it, it doesn't. Winnipeg's a team that they don't really get handcuffed. I mean, you're looking yeah. at a guy, he's getting paid a million less AAV than Vasilevsky. Both very good goaltenders in their own right. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and discredit that. Um, the the one I'm going to look at, you've got Matt Murray in Toronto. You're looking at this a similar, if not slightly less AAV at $8 million. And and it's just it's that's to me a bad signing. But I think the pickup for Winnipeg going with Hellebuck, I think that's going to work for them. He's going to be a good goaltender for at least a few more years. Oh, and 
I mean, he's signed through his age 37 season. You're looking at Carey Price at 35. There's going to be some drop-off on the back end, and I didn't do enough digging into that contract, and frankly, I don't have enough concern right now to do it, but I'm sure that's a front-loaded contract or even a back-loaded. It's probably a front-loaded contract where, you know, those last few years, if they buy him out, there's not as much of a cap hit. Yeah, buy or probably more so trade, I would say. I don't think they're going to trade a guy at 35. It's it's a similar situation to Carey Price where they kind of just have to sit on the goaltender and either buy him out or or have him retire. You're not Carey Price isn't moving out of Montreal. Carey Price is Montreal even if he is, you know, oh, consistently yeah. hurt. Yeah. But, yeah, which is sad to say he might end up retiring and never playing again. I I mean that you're looking at a a player who's got if you ask me and I hate to say this but Carey Price has one of the most wasted careers in NHL history. He's got so much talent and it's so much potential and the team they could they could never just piece it together around him. And I mean that's just that's a sad story in myself. Ma- and, and Montreal Canadiens with Carey Price is the quote unquote modern day era of Buffalo Sabres with Dominic Hasek. I wouldn't no, say that. No, because no, because you have a t- I mean you're talking about a team with Carey Price that I mean, the Sabres had a lot of good runs. They built good yeah. teams around him. And I mean, they did make the cup finals with him. They did. But and that was I, heavily I would, defense and goaltending. Yeah. Right, I would say right. it was slightly a different era. So you weren't, it wasn't necessary to, you were, it wasn't a, nece- a necessity to have these top end players to push the offense. You relied more heavily on your defense and goaltending and you would just kind of finish it off. That that's that's a valid point. That's that's completely where we're at, and and it's not really like a modern. I mean, where you're looking at right now, in like terms of a modern NHL player, similar to the Sabers with um with Hashik, you're looking at. I mean, I hate to say it, but a team like Edmonton right now with McDavid, they're just. I mean, they need to piece it together. That guy yeah. needs a cup. I mean, you've got two top end talents on that on that offense, and they're just. They can't seem to put it together in the playoffs. And that's another one of those. I'll make it easy for McDavid. Get out. It's, it's not I a get know. out situation. I know. I, I know. Yeah. But With his contracts or anything else, even I to make any out. type of a trade is going to be it's, outlandish. I mean, just, he I is. for him. He wants to win the cup and they're just not helping. They're realistically not helping him. They say they he are. He is. Not. Edmonton. I mean, at the end of the day, he is Edmonton just as much as as much as it's hate to say it, Gretzky is Edmonton. Um, I mean, he's got a good contract there. He's got three more years on it, 12 and a half million or tw- yeah, 12 and a half over three years. He's going into the eight. He's going to be going into his age 29 season as a UFA or actually age 30. I'm sorry. Age 30 season as a UFA. I, they've got to piece it together here in the next two years. I mean, they've got, they're paying Darnell nurse insane way amount, much. way too much money. Uh, age 28, 9.25 AAV. Um, they they're trying to piece it together in the back end with the goaltending. I think Campbell is going to be really good for them. Um, I don't think he's going to be the answer. The but, answer, yeah. but they do also have a young Stuart Skinner behind him, mm-hmm. who who's a more than capable backup and can definitely do it. But the problem with that team, as as I look at it right now, is that top end on defense. You're, you're one two pairing, and you've got nothing three four five six. I mean, that's that's just a rough team to look at. And the, I mean, in the modern NHL, yeah, you can go out. I mean, it's proven by the Sabres. You can go out and you can try to win games seven to six, seven to five. But, but it doesn't it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't translate not yeah. to the playoffs and not into not into going deep in them, at least. Yeah. Like I, I just seen a thing earlier. Um, 
Sabres were, what was it? For goals for throughout the year, we were third in the league. And out of the first, out of the top 10 goals for Sabres being at third, we were the only team to not make the playoffs. Yep. We were within the top 10 in power play percentage. Out of the top 10 teams, the Sabres are the only ones not able to make the playoffs. Key re- thing going with what Ryan was saying is that you need some type of defense, you need some type of goaltending, you need some way of backstopping and stopping pucks. That's, that's what you need. You can't, you're not going to outrun them. It's, I even think, I would look at it with, uh, with Washington all those years back. Ovechkin was dominant. He had what, three, four years? He was getting 50 goals a year. That team was more offense heavy and built up front, and they never quite had defense and goaltending. And then they finally got Holtby up there and running. They got Carlson running. And that's when they finally started to make those or, push, uh, deeper pushes for the playoffs, and they finally won the cup. Or like uh, Chicago, that won uh, one of their runs. They weren't, they weren't quite. I forgot what year it was, but they they weren't they didn't have the best goalie back there, but he was decent enough to hold the fort while Patrick Kane and company basically ran the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chicago, Chicago in those early years, it was like the early. I mean, Kane Tays coming out of the lockout years. Uh, you're looking at you're looking at a team that was built more for the modern NHL, and were able to transition into that that new style open play more quickly than others. And then the league caught up and the, they obviously fell off and age and injuries caught up, but it, it's a, it's a good team that, that hit it at the right spot. Just kind of like those, those post lockout Sabres teams did. I mean, you're talking about, they just couldn't quite, they couldn't quite crack that, that playoff nut. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Ryan, not that I want to backtrack uh, a little bit, mm-hmm. but I did look it up. Hellebuck's new contract. Uh, year one. So obviously 24, 25. Signing bonus, 5 mil. Base salary, 5 mil. Year two, base salary, 10. Year three, 7.5. Year four, 10 mil. 9 mil, 7 mil, 6 mil. Oh, so they. So I'm looking at it now as well. It looks like basically what they did is they alternated their, their base salary and... and... Uh, the base salary it goes basically six, four and a half, seven and a half, four and a half, seven and a half. Yeah. So I mean that you're looking at you're looking at kind of that's an interesting way to do it because it keeps them from essentially having a crap load of dead cap at the end of the contract or even early in it. Yeah. It so frees up a couple of mil in between that. Yeah. So I mean it, it it'll be a consistent buyout if they need to later on, depending on where he sits. But I mean he's got. If I look at it correct, he's got enough. He's going to have plenty of playing time under his belt. He's going to be able to carry deep into that into that contract. I think he'll do fine. I don't think that's going to be a buyout situation. And I think I think they'll they'll end up being very happy with that signing. I mean, I know I would be if I was or, a Winnipeg fan today. Or hypothetical, because he's thirty right now. Mm. This he just signed a seven year. I don't know how many goalies. Oh, oh, I don't know. Then again, Mark Andre Fleury just proved my idea wrong. <laughs> I was gonna say, what goalies do you see at thirty-seven still kicking it, but uh, yeah, on a consistent yeah. basis? But I mean, even then, there, I mean, I mean, backup role. Yeah, and, and that's, the that's the other thing. The, the, you know, the changing of the guard. Absolutely. I mean, that's one way to look at it. Is you've got this very experienced goaltender to back up. I mean, you've got. You don't really have anybody young, but I don't know what their pipeline looks like goaltending wise. I, I'll be honest; it's Winnipeg. 
I'm looking now, junior, minor, minor, nobody really blowing me away. Um, kind of curious about this Dominic Deventis kid, um, 19. Looks like he's going to play in the OHL, plays for North Bay. Uh, pretty consistent, save percentage, looks goals against average, pretty decent at 19. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he translates to the AHL and that he might be hitting a stride just as Hellebuck's starting to hit his decline. So that might be that might be a nice one on their end, but not the real reason why we're here in this podcast, just a lot that's going on. <laughs> a lot that's going on today in the league. Um, um, looking at it realistically, we are seeing, at least I see a lot here in terms of the Sabres getting back on this Darlene contract talk. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is a, I, I would say a very player friendly contract there. It is. Um, it is. It, we're looking, we're looking at a guy who here, I mean, going into next season, once the six million falls off the books, is the second highest paid defenseman in the league. Um, um, also, the largest contract in Sabres history. Yep. Granted, Which, inflation and time has changed. Compared to the past, but yeah, largest contract in Sabres history. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, well, well deserved. Uh, he's a great player for the team. I would not sit here and say that there was a bad contract in any way, shape, or form. What you're looking at is what's projected by many, although not projected by me, to be your future captain for the team. Locked down long term with a good contract, so he's not going anywhere. So you've got the future of your leadership group there locked up. And that's a huge part that I think is really understated and not talked about enough by anybody around the organization is you've got your leadership group locked down for many years to come. Yeah. Yeah. Dalian's got the full no movement clause the whole pretty much the whole time. So that helps too. Uh, I'm okay. No. I'm okay with him get with giving him the A. Uh, I think he deserves that. But yeah, I agree with you there. Not a, not a not a full C. But yeah, and go off of that, Andrew, uh that was actually in his uh, press conference this morning. Um, Darlene pointed out the the no trade clause was like apparently the biggest concern for him. Um, yeah, he didn't really speak much about finances, but he he did push that he didn't want to be traded and that he loves the city. So, personally, Which I would have I... minded a ten million average, but uh, it is what it is. Yeah. And there was no way we were locking him down for $10 million. It just was not happening. Um, I mean, I, I was talking about this with Andy over text message earlier today. And looking at that that Seth Jones contract that really set the bar for what players should be getting. I, I Let me rephrase that. Not set, it, set the bar for what players should be getting, but setting it the bar for what defensemen could be getting. Yeah, it helped push it forward. It definitely skewed that. Um, where I think it'll be interesting is is looking at where he sits in terms of defensemen in the league. I mean, making two more a year than Cal McCarr is I, I, that's that's a little crazy to me, um, considering Cal McCarr is now signed for nine million as his cap hit. We're looking at eleven for Darlene. Um, uh, Makar did sign his nine million contract two years ago, though. So yeah. two years so ago, we were, time, the league was looking a little different. Yeah, so. at the time, I think he was the highest paid defenseman. Uh, when he did it, I think. Don't quote me. I think. 
if um, not, he was one of the top ones. I'm looking. I'm trying to look at Downey and Carlson. Uh, Downey and Carlson both signed theirs in 1920, making uh, 11 and a half and 11. So, so it was not. I mean, what I ultimately would have liked. What I ultimately would have liked. Yeah, I would have liked more in the 10 and a half range. Um, I agreed with all those projections that I saw that it was putting him right around 10 and a half, and it looked like they undercut it a little bit to 11. Um, but I think that 10 and a half range was the right spot to be. I think 11 is perfectly fine um, for what it can do for the town, the city, what it can do for the team. Um, you're locking down, you're locking down a guy who knocking on wood has no, had really no injury issues. You're locking down the future leadership of your team and you're locking down a, a very, very talented player. And, and there's no question about it. I think it's a very good contract for all parties involved, and I'm glad that he got his payday. And I'm glad that he got his payday in Buffalo. 100%. So now, because everybody, like it, it's, it has to be a tandem. <laughs> Owen Power. Owen. I Where would, are you guessing? I would personally like to see him get offset since we gave Darlene the eight year. I want to see power offset. So when his contract, his net, this contract is up, you're not having the same issue that we're having right now. We're having Darlene and power right on top of each other. And now it's, we're kind of got to be forced to go one way first and get that figured out before we can do the next one. I'd rather power to have like a six to seven year deal. And then at that point we can deal with him moving forward. And then we have time to still figure out other, the rest of the team and then, uh, and then Darlene, Two years later, one year, two years later. So you're saying if six years though, that's that's almost borderline bridge contract. Yeah. Uh no, I mean you're talking if you're talking a bridge contract, you're talking two to three years to get him yeah. through. Maybe four, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd like to see six yeah, seven. I see, I see bridge like four to five. That's uh, why I'm like like six is I wouldn't say I wouldn't say four to five is a bridge. Two to three is usually a bridge contract that's kind of getting you some space and then kind of reevaluating. Um, I do think that's a very realistic expectation for him. You're talking about a kid who's going into his contract year. Um, he's played 87 total NHL games, so a little over a season. Uh, 38 points, so putting up a decent clip for a defenseman, but still, in my opinion, really still finding his feet in the NHL. Um, I mean, I think realistically, a bridge contract's probably where you're looking. You are probably looking at a bridge contract somewhere in the probably Tage Thompson, uh, Dylan Cousins range, probably that seven, seven and a half range, um, which again, I don't think is a bad contract for him, especially if he if he has a huge step up this year in production. Um, I'd like to see him. I'd like to see him right around 50 points, and I'd be very happy with that in his age 2021 20, season. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, that's what I like to see. I like to see that that that, that little length of a bridge contract get him through everything, the decent cost. Even if he does fall back and we sign him for, we'll say we'll go with six years at like five five. If say he does fall off and he doesn't turn out the way he is, five and a half million for a mid defenseman is relatively easy to move, especially with the cap moving up. You can move that relatively easy. But that's gonna, that's worst case scenario. I'm saying. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to tell you right now, you're not signing him to a five and a half year, a five and a half year, or five and a half deal. That's not I, happening. I, I, I feel like seven is even. I hate saying it because he's a rookie and I get it. 
Yes, he's shown like you just you just said it all off, Ryan. Four goals, thirty-one assists this season, thirty-five points plus ten. But up and up and up and up and up, and that's all we're expecting out of him. So yeah, I feel like even seven might be, especially with the cap going up. I think for a defenseman, you're look and for his production, you're looking probably right around where Dylan Cousins is. You're probably looking right around seven mil. Um, seven, seven point one, somewhere in that range, and I think you're looking at a bridge contract because obviously he's not forward as much as you'd like to lock him down long term for that dollar amount, just like we did with Thompson, just like we did with Cousins. I don't think that's feasible. Um, but I so think what you're saying seven mil for three years. I, I'm thinking seven mil, Four. three years, right? You're taking him up to his age twenty four season. Uh, and then I, I'd say from there, you're probably going to look at it, probably a seven to eight year contract from there, taking him straight through 32. So three to four. Hold on a second. You said three to four, right? Uh, two to three. Two to three, to three. 7.1. Yeah, I'd say probably a three year contract's right where you're looking. So, not that we want to go super high hypothetical on this. Jeff Skinner's contract is up 26 27. 2728. He's a UFA 2728. Yeah. He'll still be with us in 2627. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, if, if we... last year of his contract and he's at five mil. So that could work with what you were just saying. It's not, you're looking at it the wrong way because he had a front loaded contract. It's still, his cap hit is still his AAV. So he's still hitting for a 9 million cap hit um, okay, in, his, in his last season. So, I mean, you do have a lot, you do have a lot tied up within, it looks like five players there. It looks like you've got a total of about uh, 40 million between those four players or five players, which isn't terrible in today's modern NHL, but at the same token, I mean, at the same token, you've got an aging Jeff Skinner, a Tage Thompson, who you're going into his age 30 season. You've got Dylan Jeff Skinner that just hit his, uh, best season of his career yeah but you're still talking about a jeff skinner that's going into his age 35 season um and i mean you're you're talking about you're talking about kyle Poso numbers at that point you're not talking about nine million he's 31 right yeah Yeah, so you're talking four years from now going into his age 35 season i mean you're talking kyle Poso numbers at that point that's all you can really expect and you're paying nine million for what is essentially becoming a third or fourth line forward at that point at least, at least that's what we're hoping. Nobody is expecting Jeff Skinner to be a first line winger as, at age thirty five. Yeah, yeah. You almost don't make, expect any thirty five year old to be your top guy. Hardly ever. True. There's not many that are going to be thirty plus, thirty five, and still rocking their the top top star role. I don't know. Look at uh, Ovechkin. Look at Yamir Yager. You're talking about completely different makeups. I know. I yeah. know. I, know. <laughs> I was going to say. I'm just saying, though. There, he's changed. There are the, there are the diamonds in the rock. Yeah, like, that, that's my can... point. There are diamonds that just. Yeah. There are still like, guys there. Yeah, they're grinding, though. Like like you were saying, Ryan, third, fourth line guys that you're like, holy cow, they're still in this league? Yeah. Well, they're still exactly. going. They're still showing up. and Yep. So I, I looking at the top of the lineup, I think that's I think that's pretty well set. I mean, what I'd like to see looking forward, I'd like to see Alex Tuck get Alex Tuck get suspended or suspended, extended, extended, <laughs> extended, not suspended. Let's not let's not put that on Tucky here. Um, I'd really like to see him extended. I think that's your I think you're looking at between Dylan Cousins, Alex Tuck, and Rasmus Dahlin. 
you are looking at the leadership group for this very, I mean, still very young team looking over it. And and that would be really, really nice to see him really step into that role. He's the guy that I think ultimately should be getting the C after Ocposo. I know a lot of people are saying Darlene should be your next captain. I'm not vehemently against that, but yeah, I, I do lean more towards Alex Tuck being more of that vocal leader, which I think is more of a captain's role. Um, as Darlene being the silent leader, kind of more of an assistant role. But again, it's just a letter, and having that leadership group in place is nice. Um, I'm looking down the roster, though, and I'd kind of like to transition into like the future as we've been talking. Um, where do we see? I mean, we've got some younger guys here. Um, a lot of question marks on where we're gonna, where we're seeing them, what we're gonna see, what kind of production we're gonna see out of them. Yeah, uh, guys like. Thing. Guys like Krebs, guys like Katurka, um, you got these 20, 21-year-old players who haven't really made that jump. I mean, don't don't get me wrong, they've made the jump. They're obviously playing in the NHL, but they yes. haven't <laughs> taken that huge step forward like Dylan Cousins has, where he's he's basically become that well-rounded player that we drafted. Um, I know we've got Zach Benson, who in my opinion, we're looking at the second coming of Jeff Skinner. Um, oh my lord! The fluid, yes. the fluid movement, the yes. ability to find the puck in in high scoring chance areas. Um, I just everything I've seen from him is just the second coming of Jeff Skinner, and I think he's going to be a very productive player for many years to come. Oh, he's um, yeah. The way Benson moves is like was like watching water. Dude. Just the way he moves is so smooth. Which is very scary to talk about an 18 year old player like that. And yeah, and we in no way, shape, or form can project where this kid is going to be. But just from what we've seen, the raw talent is just oozing out of this kid and he has that ability. Um, it's just how much does he want to work and take it to the next level? And I mean, do we have the, I mean, when Skinner's contract runs out, do we have the next player to step up into that role? And I think I think at this point it's too early to say, but it'd be really nice to say that he was um, Peyton Krebs. I personally really like him. I'm a huge fan of the way he plays. I like his hands. I think he's a fantastic player. Really done a good job rounding out his two way ability to play for uh, you know play offensive zone, play in the defensive zone. Um, really rounds out that bottom bottom six really well. And to be very frank, I'm very off the Casey Middlestat train and I like Peyton Krebs more. Um and I think he's a more viable option. I think we've seen everything we can with Middlestat and, and I know that's that's hard on the kid and I know he's only 24, but I've seen enough of him to know what he is. And I am not I I would be okay walking away from him. I think he can be a very productive player, but I would just like him to be a not or I would not like him to be a productive player for the Buffalo Sabres any longer. So, um, to back back it up real quick, this is my take. I support Alex Tuck being captain. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I, I am torn between. Uh, no, I do not. I do not support the splitting. We've experienced that enough in Buffalo. Oh, the splitting um, of the C. One yeah, person gets yeah. the C for a certain su- amount. I don't support that, but I can see it going between Dylan Cousins and Alex Tuck. For me, it's Dylan Cousins because of his play and his on ice character um sometimes he goes outside of his character and you've seen it he's dropped the gloves was it that heritage game or whatever in toronto he's like i don't care who i am i don't care who i'm going after uh you mess with my teammate i'm i'm gonna 
Yep. Messed yeah. you up. Uh, so that's where I see it with Cousins. But like what you were saying with Alex Tuck, his character off the ice, um, his maturity, and he is also five years older than Dylan Cousins. Not like I think age should really matter that much. But yeah, Alex Tuck does have that maturity, and I do agree. But I do think it would come between either one of those two. And for me, what it really boils down to with Alex Tuck isn't so much his ability on the ice, his ability off the ice, his leadership roles. It's his attachment to the community. Um, we're talking about a local kid who made his way back home after being in Vegas and being in Minnesota. Um, he really appreciates being here. Being part of this community is his life, at least as it, as it seems. He may be putting up a really damn good facade, but let's be realistic. Alex Tuck, I think, lives, breathes Buffalo Sabres hockey and his attachment to the community and his outreach is just, I mean, that, in, in my book, he is captain material all day, every yeah. day. And I, and I, I'm also one that does not like the splitting of the captaincy. Um, I am okay with teams that don't have a true leader, not having a C, having three A's on the ice instead of the captain, and the two assistants. I'm okay with that. I'm not a huge fan of splitting the C's, having one be at home, one be on the road. But um, I think the leadership group on this team is too strong to not have a captain. Um, I just don't. I don't foresee it being anybody other than Rasmus Dahlin as much as I would like it to be Alex Tuck. What do you got, Andy? I heard you trying to chime in. I was going to say, yeah, I, I'm between, yeah, Tuck and Dahlin as, as, as much as I would even, I, I, as you guys both know, I'm a huge fan with Cousins. I fucking love Cousy and the way he plays and everything else. The workhorse from fucking Whitehorse. But yeah, I, I think that would be your, your main three right there. Easy. One, two, three is between Dahlin, Tuck, and Cousins getting any of the letters. You you pick your poison on which one gets to see. I think it's very. I, I think what's very interesting is that of us here, none of us are talking about the fact that Cage Thompson should be in a leadership role. I don't think that has anything to do with his on ice play. Obviously, he's the yeah. star of this team, and he is. I mean, he's Cage Thompson. Um, to caveat off that, as I'm sure you guys like me have grown in unfavored love of Jack Eichel. I think it's more so on how he left, but Jack Eichel, as you know, was our C, our captain, and then he goes to Vegas, and what line was he? Second? Third? I think he was second, but I think with some injuries, he ended up getting to the first. The, yeah, he was their first line center with after injuries. Okay. So, but he was not their captain, and I think as much as I can't stand him anymore, or I can't stand him right now, um... But he, it seems like he managed to elevate his game a little bit just because he was not a captain as well. He didn't have to worry about that. He didn't have to consult with the media, talk to the media, answer I, I I'm going to stop you there. I disagree with that. Um, well, I don't, the drama I just, with Buffalo, of course, that'll never, that'll never leave. You know the media. I, I don't but, think I don't think there was a burden on him here being the captain. Um, I think it was he he was young. You're talking about a young kid, and and he got the C placed on his chest, and he had. I don't support do. that either. I don't support giving it to Patrick Kane, fresh out you know, fresh out of wherever he came from. Yeah, I don't know what league he came from before he joined the NHL. I. <laughs> 
I don't. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. I don't like giving it just to because oh he's a superstar be, because he's a superstar kid coming into yeah. the play, league hot. Yeah, like I no. swear if Connor Bedard becomes the captain for Chicago, uh, no, yeah. I don't think so. With, with somebody like Nick Foligno there, I would I would believe that they would give it to Nick Foligno. He's been around the league. He's been around the block. He knows what's up. He is that kind of like we were saying with Tuck and everybody. He's got that just kind of swag, that aura of of a leader. I would presume them to give it to to him before Bedard anytime soon. Yeah, but, but I, 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 I do agree. Tage Thompson does. Yeah, I'm okay with him not getting the seat. Let him just let him play. So so backtracking, I I th- think it was just so going back to Eichel. I think he was just learning the league. Um, I think more so than taking a letter off of his chest, it was more the. Um, the shock of him being the franchise player and okay, we're going to move on from you. Um, I, I think it getting traded is a culture shock and a wake up call for a lot of players. And I think that's what he needed. And I think it ended up working out well for, for all parties involved. I mean, obviously we ended up with Krebs and Tuck and, and they ended up with Eichel. They got the cup. Um, we're happy with where we're at. They're happy with where they're at, obviously. Um, yeah. As much that's as I, as much as I'm going to, boo him every time he comes to play in buffalo i i i still think that that trade ended up working out for all parties involved and it has to be one of the most evenest trades i don't think evenest is a word but you know what i mean yeah yeah the most balanced trades balanced trades of probably most recent yeah it it worked out so well on both sides with between the draft picks and everything yeah i mean we're still can't we just cashed in on uh the o'reilly trade still yeah, uh, Ryan Johnson. Yeah, and with the with this preseason couple of games, he was supposedly was but was looking very solid. So that that's a a very good positive for our defensive core. A good more depth and everything else. Take out Jacob Bryson and put him in then. Just everybody, start that one. everybody needs to relax. Bryson is obviously our seventh defenseman. He's not going to be dressing unless there's injuries. I don't yes. think he's the right choice for a, a seventh defenseman, but. But you know what? If we, that's the case, then then you know what? Yeah, leave John, leave Ryan Johnson and Rochester. Let him play. Let him play. That's exactly. that's what I believe. Yeah, I mean, we know him. we yeah. know what Bryson is. We know his limitations. I'm okay with him being our seventh defenseman and not getting a ton of game time. And if he does have to come in, I don't love the idea. But he's. I mean, we kept Rasmus Ristolainen on this team for far too long, and I think I think we can survive with Jacob Bryson. Yeah, um, I can't. I need him gone. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need him gone. But, I need him out uh, out the door. No, I'm kidding. More than likely, I would suggest to you, or even have hope, maybe not hopes or suggest, but just thoughts that by this time at the trade deadline this year, he'll be gone. Maybe Yoki Haru, maybe uh, Gergensen's. There, mm-hmm. There's more likely going to be a handful of people getting moved, regardless of by this trade deadline, because we're pro- more than likely to be super close. We're going to be super competitive. And we have some expiring contracts that either we need to just let them walk or try and sneak some uh, player, some picks or something for them while we still have them instead of just losing them for nothing. I'm not fully off the Henry Yokiharu train. Yeah, I would personally like to see him stay, but I feel like he's got enough value that if we package him with anybody or trade him off, we can get a decent prize back. I'm saying I'm sitting here and saying you don't trade a right handed shot defenseman who's 24 years old. And a very, very viable player on the team. And I think he has a lot, a good role that he fills well. 
And I I am not fully off the Henry Yokihari train. I still like him as a player. Um, he was paired with Power, right? Yeah, it was Power yes. and Yokiharyu. We had Darlene and Samuelson. That was our, our gorgeous t- uh, top pairing. And we had Power and Yokiharyu. And then we had Boo and Bryson, Stillman, kind of fill wish. in the blank on, on however that went. You I can go ahead and say it, garbage and garbage. You, you I can, wish we kept Lucian, though. Yeah. I did like Boo as a bottom pairing. He would he would yeah. always sacrifice himself. He would throw the body around a bit. He was a big guy, and he was just kind of that nice bottom guy that you can pay him for league minimum and have him, and he was relatively good for, I, I for that bottom to see role. Him help for a year being, yeah, fully healthy. Yeah, because like like I said, he w- he will sacrifice himself, and he he got hurt like what twice and left for a, a substantial yeah. amount of games because he sacrificed himself, blocking a puck or something, and getting hurt. So transitioning into that conversation that we were just having about Labushkin, and obviously that right there, um, I think where that's where you're losing by losing him off of this team. And as a guy who still fully supports the role of the enforcer in the NHL, <laughs> I think we all do. Um, uh, you'd be surprised. You, you can you can never get too much of the enforcers. Everybody wants it. That's um, that's the the enjoyment of. Yeah, when somebody from Toronto. <laughs> Cross checks your top defenseman in the back of the neck. You damn right, you better have an enforcer dropping the gloves. Yeah, than Dylan um, Cousins. But anyways, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's gotta, it's gotta be legit. Kind of sidetracking, well, but yeah. like the, like the, uh, the last preseason games the uh, Sabers had against Pittsburgh, the Krebs hit uh, somebody. I can't remember who, uh, but he kind of, yeah, Letang he hit Latang behind that. I watched it. Wasn't that big? Krebs kind of let up. There was somebody else also back there behind the net, so there was very limited real estate for everybody to move. So it somebody was, was gonna get somebody was gonna hit. get somebody was gonna get hit. And then fucking here comes uh, Crosby flying in Sydney. and then trying to fight. It's like that. I feel like is not necessary. The enforcing part of that was just it's unnecessary. It's Crosby. It, it, it's it's Crosby. He's got to come in and make forget, the statement. This is the guy that made crotch shots. Literally. Crotch shots, chopped fingers off, and then never got called for it. But guess what? He's not he's not the league's poster child anymore. So now he's trying to find ways to be relevant. I mean, yeah, he's still a good puck handler. He's still a great oh yeah playmaker. Yeah, he but still has the C. Yep, yeah, but he's getting C. old. Yeah, der older der der. But it's der. it's good. I. I as much as I hate the concept of a big hit resulting in a fight that's necessary, if it's not clean, obviously, yes, then a fight should ensue. But a clean, clean big hit doesn't always warrant a fight. I yep. do like seeing that out of a captain. I do like seeing that out of Crosby. Um, stepping up, protecting well, your teammates. And, and Crosby, I know Crosby did get two minutes on top of the five. Which which is the way it should be. It's yep. I'm fine with that. But obviously, it, yes, I, I do. I do like seeing your captain stepping up in that role and absolutely, you know, dropping the gloves when he feels it's warranted. Was it warranted? In his eyes, maybe uh, you got the heat of the game. It's it is what it is, but it was a clean hit. Um, I don't think that really necessarily warrants dropping the gloves, but it's good to see your captain stepping up in that role. Positioning to the Sabres. Who do we have in that role? I mean, we've got Jordan Greenway, we've got Tyson Yost, we've got so, Dylan Cousins, obviously. Yeah. Here's my question, because you were talking about it, and I just saw an article in the Buffalo News. I didn't get a chance to read it. 
uh, Peyton Krebs. About I mean, being the enforcer, kind of being the enforcer. I I I don't know how I feel. I want to see him as you were talking earlier, Ryan. I want to see him more in the like Casey Middlestat playmaker, you know, skilled kind of player. Yeah, yeah. We'd rather see him more play a skilled player. Yeah, and we know Krebs kind can of, do that. And I get it. He's kind of taken on this enforcer role to try to stay on this team. Yeah. And do the nitty gritty and, and, you know, and we need that. We need those players to get in the corner and, you know, not yeah. be afraid to go fighting for the puck and whatnot. But I don't know if I want him to be the enforcer. I mean, when you look at it directly, the way I'm seeing this team set up, you've got Peyton Krebs, who's not afraid to drop the gloves. He does what he needs to in the corners. He plays that hard role, but he's only 5'11". He's only 180. Um, he's young. But he's doing what he needs to do. And I think Jeff Skinner, I mean, on this team has proven you don't have to be a big guy to step up and push another player's buttons and be in their face and and make them take the stupid penalties, which I think this team absolutely needs. And I love that Jeff Skinner does it. And if he can maybe take Krebsy under his wing and, and kind of get him in that like little gnat role where he's kind of just poking the buttons, poking the bear, poking the bear. But then we can have somebody like Jordan Greenway, 6'6", 225, that big, big body step in and just be that guy that patrols the ice. I'm happy with that. I mean, that would that's I think they they traded for him to bring for the that grit purpose. To, to bring the grit to the team. I would like to see more of that. I really would. Um, I I'd like to see him out on the ice more and not in that top six pair like role like he was before. But I'd really like to see him as a third line, not so much enforcer, but just a guy going out there and making sure that everything goes uses body wear the team down that bump and grind. Absolutely. And last year, I believe he was injured. Mm. Correct me if I'm wrong. I thought he was injured earlier in the year. Maybe earlier in the year when he was in Minnesota, maybe I think he was injured. Yeah, that I do I not recall. After the whistle was talking about it, um, so I think if that was the case, if he uh, he he definitely did you know, not having play a, an off season, having an off season, yeah. he definitely did not play a full season. He played forty five yeah. games in Minnesota before getting traded to to Buffalo, and he played the seventeen games here. So. Which, if I'm not mistaken, that puts him at missing, I think, somewhere around seven games. Because I think the trade deadline's around week uh, game 52. Um, yeah. And somewhere in that round realm. Towards the second, the, the last third of the season. Um, which, I mean, that's fine. I, he obviously did not put up the numbers last year that he's accustomed to. Um, I mean, we're talking 19, 20, 28 points in 67 games. Uh, we're looking at 32 and, and 56 in 2021. Uh, but he only put up 11 points last year in a total of 62 games. It, it's that's that's a little light for him. That's about half of where he is usually on yeah. pace for. Um, okay. so, but it, it'd be nice to see him kind of step into the 30 point range and, and th- be out there throwing his body around. It'd be nice to see. So, not to cut you off, but Greenway last season. In Minnesota, did miss all training camp and the first three games of the season because he was recovering from off-season shoulder surgery. Aha. Uh-huh. 
So obviously coming back from shoulder surgery, you're not going to throw your weight around as much as you have in the past. Um, and which he did I, miss a couple games or two, like we were talking just a few minutes ago. He did have an upper body injury when he was with Minnesota in October. So there was, uh, you know, a little, I guess, tenderness. But, you know, maybe with a full offseason off. Yeah, full off season off, full full Just off season with players, and... and that too will help chemistry. He'll figure out things better, the system better. Yeah, I think that full full off season will really help Greenway. And he was one of Don Granados, Donnie Meatballs, Cherish Boys in the <laughs> what the hell is it called? The, the development US. program. Yep, yep, development. I think. Yep. Yeah. So hopefully, maybe you know. But I think I think where we're at right now in this whole podcast and this conversation, I think what we really need to do is we've got I would say we've probably got about another 16 minutes left. I think we've spent long enough dancing around the topic. We should probably address the elephant in the room. What are we going to do in that? What, oh, my God. Yes. What are we, we going to do? In I wanted that to ask that question. I mean, we've been I, dancing around it all day. It's not feasible to carry three goaltenders throughout the entire season. So it's it's not Sabers it, team real quick because I was listening to the hockey guy on YouTube. Sabers team save percentage last year was eight ninety seven. Yep, league average was nine oh five, which is I mean that's that's just that that supports my belief that if we'd gotten average goaltending, we're in the playoffs last year. And and I I'm not putting that on Anderson in any way shape or form. His last season, he wants to go out with a hoor- hoorah. He barely played, uh, and he still put up our best stats. And he, he put up, up he and he still put up great stats in his limited play. Um, what it comes down to is is did we did we end up making the right decision and taking this gamble essentially on Eric Comrie? Um, is this the guy that? I, I know he's a UFA after the season. UPL is also an RFA after the season. Um, what are we going to do with these guys? I mean, do we see Comrie as a rental for a team that has their goaltender go down? Are we looking to just trade him? Should we try to send him through waivers and see if he gets claimed? I mean, ultimately, that does eliminate our issue. Um, but we can't. I, I don't know where you guys sit. Personally, I think. Uh, Levi and UPL doing a 60-40 split this season is my ideal situation. Um, I'd like to see Levi step up. I know he's played a lot of games in college. He played a lot of games last year, even coming into the team late. Um, but he he got the bulk of the work down the the down when it came down to it down the back half of the season, the back stretch. Um, and, and he got the bulk of the work, and I think Renato has a very serious belief in him. Um, I do think that's a warranted belief. He played very well while he was here, and and obviously his college stats show that. I don't think anybody sitting here is questioning whether or not this kid is going to be a one number one goaltender for us. Keeping in mind, he's also 21 years old. He's young. He is extremely talented. He's small. But I don't think the question here is Levi. I think the question is ultimately, what do you do between Comrie and UPL? And so- where do you guys feel comfortable between those two? So, I was going to say, I... is... okay, you know what, Andrew, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I was no, going to say, let's, or you want to fight? Let's, let's go. Have, let's drop the gloves. Let's have, let's have Jeff go first. Let's have Jeff go first. He was, okay. He was, yeah. Andy, I hope you bring up the Tampa Bay 
that, that was going to be my head. Okay. That was going to be part so, of it. I'm going to go against you on this, Ryan. I want to see Levi Comrie. Explain. One, he's been around the league a little bit longer. Yeah, no, I know he he's been in the background. He's twenty. He's been, years a, old. he's been in. He's been in the AHL longer. He hasn't okay. been around the league longer. Uh, I. Either way. Regardless. Regardless. I want to go towards Comrie. I liked what I seen last year. He wasn't Devin Levi esque because you know Levi made some saves that he shouldn't have saved, or an average goalie would not save. But he, how do I put my words? When he showed up, he showed up. Obviously, he was injured, and you could tell there were games. It just wasn't there. Our defense, it was not there. I'm sorry, with UPL having double hip surgery, his game will never be what it was. Yes, he put up monster numbers in the juniors, monster numbers, you know, all leading up to his moment, but... When he had surgery a couple years ago, his numbers have not been the same. They have not been better. His numbers were still atrocious in the AHL as they are up here. I feel bad saying it, but I'm kind of done with him. I'm sorry. Here's where I'm going to counter. And Andy, I'm sorry to cut you off because I am <laughs> That's so... That's okay. That's what this is I, for. Yeah. I'm so vehemently against that belief. For I'm going to give you multiple reasons why. One, you're leaning towards Comrie because he's been around the league longer. Can you please tell me without looking it up how many more NHL games he's played than UPL? Oh, you got me on that one. You got to answer. Me the, answer the answer is one. <laughs> One. One. He's played 47 NHL games compared to UPL's 46. Um, it, it's, you do not in any way, shape, or form be done with a 24-year-old goaltender. 24 isn't even close to becoming his prime. Yes, he, hasn't had, yes, he hasn't had the same level of play since he had his hip surgery. Fine. I can okay, understand the word that. I'm looking for but, is He's inconsistent. He's, he's inconsistent. In, he's inconsistent because he's a 24-year-old goaltender in the NHL. You don't get consistency until you hit your prime. Comrie is 28, has played 47 NHL games. There is a reason he's played one more NHL game than UPL at four more years as senior. Teams know what he's had. He has. He's played in Winnipeg. He's played in Detroit. He's played in Jersey, and then he went back to Winnipeg. And everywhere he's gone, he's put up, if not pedestrian, sub-pedestrian numbers. I mean, you're talking about significantly sub-900 save percentages. Yes, he had that one decent year in Winnipeg, 258 yep. save percentage, 920, or not 258 goals against, 920 save percentage. But that's in limited play in 19 games. You saw that shoot up with a Buffalo team that didn't have as good of defense. Obviously, we're playing a more open style. You're looking at a guy who played, again, 19 games last year compared to the 19 in Winnipeg, and you saw his goals against go up by one full goal a game and his save percentage drop by 40 points. I mean, you're talking about a guy, you're, you want to talk about consistency. This guy has been all over the road. I mean, before that one season, his average save, goals against average was like almost four, and his save percentage was right around 850. 
I mean, you can't you can't sit here and say, you know, that's consistency. That's consistency. It's not consistency, if you ask me. Um, consistently bad. It's it's consistently inconsistent, and it's a guy that you know is just coming into his what a lot of people would consider your peak as a goaltender in professional hockey. Um, I mean, what you're looking at from UPL, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw Levi put up similar, if not slightly better numbers in the NHL. You're talking about young goaltenders. And I am going to sit here all day, all night, and I'm going to fight against, I'm going to fight for having two young goaltenders on the team right around the same age. You, You don't need, you don't need a guy to train your goaltenders you, you don't need that. That's what you got goalie coaches for. You don't need an older guy to show them the ropes. Um, you just need, again, going back to the conversation we had earlier, you need leadership in the locker room, and that leadership doesn't need to put on pads every night. Um, I I would sit here and I would run UPL Levi, and I would I would run that until until UPL fully exhausted my belief in him because there were points last year where I saw him be a very very productive goaltender. Uh, you can't Stop ignore the fact he was totally not productive. You, uh, of course, lots of goals that he should have made. And, of course, but but I'm also looking I at a goal center. Real quick, I want to get this in. Yeah, because I agree, Devin Levi. Yeah, we, Dominic Hasek, Ryan Miller. The next, yeah, no, I see that, number. and and I get it. I mean, he took that extra year in college. He wanted that championship. He sadly didn't get it. I don't think he did. No, you're not going to get yeah. it at Northeastern, yeah. but not the point. But, and I get it. But I do know, too, because a lot of people think he's just going to be this miraculous savior. But I know it, Levi's going to plateau his first full year, 82 game schedule. Obviously, he's not playing all 82. But he, he's going to have games where he's just going to – he's just – he's not going to have it. And people – I know it. People are going to be upset. They're going to be pissing and moaning. Pardon my French pissing and moaning because, oh, Levi, I thought he was Master Jedi. He's supposed to save us. And it's like, he's 21 years old. But I don't know. With me, UPL, I just, I don't see it anymore. I really don't. Personally, I think we need an, we need an actual veteran goalie. But I don't. Especially I, if this team's looking to make a run to the playoffs. I think maybe a trade deadline acquisition, but I don't. I don't think Comrie's the answer there because he's not. He doesn't. Yes, he's been bounced around and he's played for multiple teams, but he doesn't have the experience to be that veteran like leader. If that's what you're looking for, I think Comrie's not the answer. I think UPL doesn't clear waivers if you try to send him down to Rochester. A team's going to snatch up a 24 year old goaltender who's that big every, all day every day. Um, Looking at last year, I mean, we're, we've got between his time at Northeastern in Buffalo and for the World Juniors, you're looking at him playing uh, 42 games, uh, Levi, that is. You're looking at him playing 42 games over last year. Yes, his save percentage in college is everything and more. You're looking at a guy who put up 952, 933 in college. Um, but college isn't the pros. And Ultimately, he's used to these long, arduous seasons where he plays, if not all of the vast majority of a team's games. And if he can put up, I'd like to see him somewhere. I know I said he played 42 last year. I'd like to see him around 45 games, maybe even pushing it to 50. But 
I have confidence, at least in my book, and I may be naive in this, but I've got confidence in UPL to play the other 32 to 37 games. And I, I see him being productive, especially if our defense takes a step this year. We're more, more solid defensively. And if we do play a more open and flowing game and we're able to put up those numbers, I'm okay with my goaltender letting in a few soft ones because at the end of the day, I know we're going to get those back. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Defense does need to. Our defense was atrocious last year. I will not deny that. I mean, that's. I mean, I don't think UPL has had a decent defensive team in front of him his entire time in Buffalo. I mean, for sure, never in Buffalo. I'm not sure about Rochester. I'm not sure what kind of numbers he put up, but. I mean, uh, UPL. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what kind of what the defense looked like in Rochester. Oh, yeah. um, I don't, but I, don't know but I mean, that. I'm looking at 21-22, and I'm seeing a goaltender who put up a 2.74 save percentage and a 9.7 or 2.74 goals against average and a 9.17 save percentage in nine games with the Sabers, and I'm seeing a goaltender who does show flashes. He's got the ability, and if we can get a goaltender who's putting up a 9.10 save percentage and somewhere around two and a half to three goals a game. I mean, we're going to win a lot of games that way, but I think you saw his numbers balloon last year. He played 33 games, 892 save percentage, 361 goals against. Um, but that's again on a very bad defensive Sabres team. Yeah. yeah I kind of get where you're going with, with Comrie, the, with being kind of the veteran because college to even just AHL is completely different. So even knowing Comrie was more an AHL, it, I can kind of see that, but still more it's, he still has proved that he has not, not been that good. Why has he been shopped around is the point, but yeah, I'm with Ryan. I would, I would rather see Levi and UPL. I feel like UPL still has potential to jump. Clearly 24. He's still young. He has the potential. He has the the ability to It's just a matter of if he can. And at this point we haven't hit the bottom of the well yet. Let's, take a few more buckets out of it. Let's see how far it goes. And if there's still water after one, two more buckets, just keep pulling. Why not? And then we know where we're going to stand with Levi. Levi has definitely proved, especially with the, like what Ryan was saying with, with college, he's proved his, uh, his loading can be done. He can deal with the loading, the heavy loads. So give Levi the shot. I personally, if we were a little bit better off, I would have liked to see Levi maybe do a little less up here, but that's a different scenario. Yeah. So, just just for more so the fact of kind of savoring them and that you don't want to ever give a player too much pressure right out the gate and then they crack and crumble and now it takes them even longer to get their confidence back up again. That that is my concern with Levi as well. Yeah. I don't. I'm afraid we're gonna end up. I'd rather have a fresh Levi for the playoffs. I mean, crazy scenario. I'd rather Levi like be the backup. And ends up coming in hot into the playoffs and carry us. You, you know what I'm talking about, like what yeah. Murray did with Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, yeah, hundred percent. To burn the kid out trying to play 50 games, yeah, because both UPL and Comrie can't stop a beach ball. Because then next, you know, once we're trying to make that last push in the playoffs, and then you know he's just yeah, Levi's yeah. burned I, out. I am okay for maybe the first month for this month of October sitting with three goalies partially because of the fact, partially because of the fact of, of Tampa losing Vasilevsky for what is it? Two, three months that he's not going to play. So Tampa's going to be looking to scalp a goalie any which way, whether they either make a trade to get somebody to pick somebody up off of waivers or not. 
if we drop Comrie or UPL, more than likely they're going to get snagged. And within the first month, if anything does happen, we see Levi like flatline, Comrie flatline, UPL flatline, we see anything happen to any of them or get injured. I'd rather have run the three at least to start and see where we go than just kind of, all right, we're going to go with these two. And then, then we have it. Now what do we have? We go to our farm team and we have Devin Cooley, who is 26. And then we have Dustin Tokarski. Oh, not Tokarski. I don't need any more of him. Exactly. We really don't have much in the tank on, on goaltending. I would Cooley put up some great numbers. I mean, I for, for the, the preseason AHL last year. Yeah. No, AHL last year, Cooley did do 26 games, played 293 GAA and a 909 save percentage. Well, that's, playoffs, that's what his Milwaukee games. team, yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, playoffs, four games played, 229 and a 916. I forgot how Milwaukee did in the playoffs. I remember I was watching them. They didn't do too bad. I think they got destroyed by one of the powerhouses in the second round. But, uh, I mean, his numbers weren't that great the year before, but... Yeah, but my, I'm my point to see how he does in Rochester, though. Yeah, I would rather see like him do something in Rochester and kind of solidify, prove himself than to try and pull him up because of an injury and Comrie got taken off of waivers and, and stuff like that. I would I would like to see us with three, at least to start. It does kind of hinder us with our ability with our, our uh, the people who are our scratch, healthy scratches and everything. But at, at like this moment, I would rather see us have three and have that ability. And then if, say, Levi does take off and UPL is showing these hot flashes that he can kind of – you can put Levi in for two and he has one and a half good games and then UPL comes in and plays a uh, semi-above-average game, well, there's your two goalies you can run. We can now ship Comrie either out, buy him out, trade him, whatever. But at least at the start, I would like to see it. Because, like I said, with, with Tampa missing out on uh, Vasilevsky, they're going to want to bulk up on net miners in some way, shape, or form. And Who's their, who's their backup? I am actually... Let's see. Yeah, I just... I don't trust it. So, currently, they've got Matt Tompkins, and they've got Jonas, Jonas Johansson. I, is that, I believe that is... Yep, that is our old Jonas Johansson. Oh! From the Buffalo Sabres. So that's, I mean, they're, well, you know. What happened to him again? More power. He was bad. Okay. <laughs> he was he, bad. He was I very mediocre. the kid. So they've got, they've got a kid who's never played a game in the NHL and Jonas Johansson, who when he was with Buffalo, at least from my re- recollection, he was um, – very, very mediocre. We're talking t- total games played 13, well over a three save, a three goals against, and well below a 900 well, save percentage. According to Deadspin, the Lightning are depending on goalie Jonas Johansson as the season opens. Yep. It, and that's exactly why I don't want to risk dropping Comrie or UPL because they will more than likely take it and take the chance on running three and then releasing somebody. I, I think this kind of very much sums up Jonas Johansson, 2021-2022, uh, playing for the Florida Panthers, who, if I'm not mistaken, 21-22, Florida Panthers were uh, pretty hot, um, pretty good team, 21-22. Yeah, we are talking two games played, 766 save percentage, goals against average of 7.74. Oh. Uh, I, I, well... 
Let's see what Tampa can do. Um, another goaltender, very much like Comrie, going into his 28th season, played 35 total games in the NHL. 28th season? Not yet. He's 28. Never really, never really proven himself, if you ask me. And um, I think that would be an interesting place for. I mean, if we can get some, if we can get some return, I think that would be nice. I, I don't want to see a draft pick, even though I know that's where we're going with goaltending. But if they want to make a serious push. I'd really like to see them give up a prospect. And it'd be nice to see some kind of return. I agree we shouldn't drop one of them down through waivers because they'll get snapped up in a heartbeat. But I think we should definitely get some return on one of them. It'd be nice to see. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's my point is that like, with uh, the start of the season and Tampa looking that thin at net, I'm, I'm a little worried for that. Maybe I'm just being overcautious. But like I said, I, I, I would like to see how things pan out in the beginning and see who gets the the tracks to the road first and takes off. And then we will know who can, who will be one, who will be two and who we can let fall and go to the wayside. So I think to transition off of our goalies a little bit, you guys mentioned Tampa Bay while the Sabres play them for the third game, which will actually be the game we'll be at. Yep. That's the game we'll be at. So Tampa Bay, they finished what third? Tampa Bay finished third. They had 82 games. They had 46 wins, 30 loss, and 98 points. They're getting older. Me and Andy were talking about this before you jumped on, Ryan. They're getting older, but they're still smart hockey players. Obviously, they've been to the cup. They've gone far. They've gone deep. Not quite a dynasty, but I'd say what modern day Detroit Red Wings, maybe. Mm, no, uh, no, not, I, quite, I, not quite, not quite, not quite. No. You're, probably, you're you know, probably talking modern day, modern day Colorado Avalanche, okay. putting up very anyway, competitive games against that yeah. that Detroit dynasty back very then. Very good team, goes deep in the playoffs. They're consistent playoff team. Is this the tip of the iceberg? And that and my, now my next question is: Can the Sabers take advantage of this, especially with Vasilevsky not starting? I mean. I'm talking season, not just the game, but for the season. I I think Tampa might falter a little bit, but I think they'll probably be in the same boat as where they are, where they were last year. They'll be kind of close, floating up and down in that uh, wild card spot. They're an but, incredibly well coached team. I mean, there's you're not going to see that drop off from them. Um, do I think they fall off? No. Do I think I do I think they fall off outside of the playoffs? Absolutely not. Is there going to be a fall off? I, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, do we see Tampa Bay in the wild card mix, or do they still hold on to that third spot? I think they hold on to the third spot. I think a realistic projection for the Sabres this year is uh, very similar to where we were last year, fighting for a wild card spot. Um, and it's all going to come down to, and I hate to put this on a 21-year-old kid, but it's all going to come down to Levi. It really is. Um, if he steps up and he gives us, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, if we can get average goaltending, we're in the playoffs. Um, if we can get average goaltending, and I think we can get above average, average defense, goaltending. Average defense as well. Uh, I mean, uh, yes, but but at the end of the day, it does come down to the guy between the pipes. Oh, yeah. And I think I think if we can get average goaltending, I think we're we're in that mix for the wild card again. I don't see us pushing for one, two, or three, where the uh, you know the, the clear ticket. But I mean, a guy can hope, right? Maybe maybe I see three if we get hot at the right time, and we and we can make it work. Yeah, I would, best. Yeah, yeah I, I would, a good, on a good, 
that was gonna be my my spot. I was I'm hoping for three. I feel like three is, isn't too much of a stretch. I would I would say two is a definite stretch, but three I think could be a very a very close potential spot with how absurdly stacked the Atlantic division is. Boston losing their two main guys and having nobody down the middle. Boston's definitely going to drop. Toronto bulking up with Domi and Reeves and stuff like that. Toronto's still more likely easily the favorite for number one. But now you have Boston who's going to drop, but how far are they going to drop? Tampa who's getting older, they're missing Vasilevsky to start. How far are they going to drop? Florida, they're good, but the way they're built is more for playoffs. So they're probably going to be very similar to last year and kind of be more wildcard team. And then we now have Ottawa and Detroit who are very similar to Sabres. Who they're good, but maybe not quite there. They're missing a few pieces. They're in that that kind of bubble range. So you have all you have seven out of eight teams in just the Atlantic alone that are gonna be fighting for for pretty much two through seven. I can you can roll the dice and have almost any combination go through there. Montreal, they look good, but they're still way too young and still they're not well developed yet. So Montreal is still gonna be a, a number eight in that division. I'd so, I'd argue that all day. I'd argue that from the get-go that I think I think Montreal is better than what anybody's letting on. Um, I think it's I think you've got four teams that are all in a very similar situation between Buffalo, Detroit, Montreal, and Ottawa. Obviously Ottawa, Detroit, Buffalo taking a further step than Montreal. But the real question is is who's gonna take that next step? And if Montreal takes a bigger step than the Sabres, the Red Wings and the Senators, which is a long shot, I agree, but it's possible. I mean you've got you've got a team that very easily could leapfrog us and and those other two for that matter and vie for that wild card i mean i don't see i i see two wild card teams out of the atlantic this year the question is is what two and you've got you've got three teams that are very similarly built like you said andy and they're they're very good if not on the verge of being playoff contenders and who's going to take that next step yeah yeah, I, I, I don't, I'm not taking nothing away from Montreal. I love the way Montreal is going and everything else. I just, what they got and everything else, I don't think they're much better than any of the three above them in Detroit, Ottawa, and Buffalo. I feel like Buffalo is definitely better. Unless we completely crumble and fall apart, I don't see Montreal being better than us. I would say I would say between Ottawa and Detroit, if Ottawa and Detroit have a have a bad season or get off bad, kind of like they did like they did last year, me and Montreal gets off good. I feel like Montreal might be able to jump one of them too, but I don't think Montreal can jump high enough to make a playoff spot. I don't, I don't think they quite have that that punch. That they're a really good team on paper. Oh yeah, they're really good on paper. But look at them last year; they had really good. You had Nick Suzuki. We had Nick Suzuki who dominated for so much. I, he had a crazy amount of points. Uh, who else do they have? Yeah, Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield. Those two guys were running the show over there. Everything else, but it's like. You start looking down the rest of their roster. They got Brandon Gallagher, Josh Anderson. You got a bunch of other guys that aren't well-known unless you're a Montreal fan and you're looking at that roster daily. And then you have Jake Allen, and then you have uh, Montembeau, who is a phenomenal goaltender. But you have Montembeau and two forwards. That's not going to get you that far. Yes, they're a good team on paper and everything else, but they don't quite have the Montreal be relevant in like two, three years. I mean, That's I'm, I'm looking at these teams and I'm looking at average age and I'm seeing Detroit's average age and I'm seeing Montreal's average age and I'm seeing Ottawa's average age. And then I look at Buffalo's and I mean, I think we're poised. We're poised in the right direction. I think where it really changes up is when you look at goaltending. 
uh, over the forwards and the defensemen, which I'm trying to eliminate goaltending because that you really can't look at. It's obviously going to raise your average age, but I mean, you're looking at Ottawa, you're looking at Detroit. Um, Detroit's defense is getting up there, average age around 30. Buffalo's average age on defense, you're looking at 25.4. I mean, we are a very, very young team. We're younger than Detroit. We're right around, if not slightly younger than Ottawa. And, I mean, Montreal, I, I really, I know you say it, but they're... They're, they're, they are definitely a sneaking team. You, if you sleep on Montreal, they can they can smoke you. But I just don't think over a full 82-game season, I don't think they can put together a consistent enough game against every team in the league to really push like a playoff spot. To, like, me, they're, to me, they are very much built like um, – they're, they're built like Seattle, but they've got a, high, a better high end. Like their top-end players are better. But they've yeah. got that. You're looking at it. They don't really have a set second line. They've got a lot of third and fourth line guys, but they are deep. They are a very deep team. Uh, the questions, obviously, are their goaltending. What can they get out of Jake Allen? Uh, who's going to back him up? What are they going to get out of their goaltending this year? And what is their defense going to do? Because there is a lot of unknown there. But their forward group is deep, and there is scoring from everywhere. And they're tough to play. That team is going to be very tough to play. They're going to give a lot of teams fits. And I think they're going to be better than what a lot of people are saying. Um, With that being said, looking at the divisions, I don't see anybody from the Met really stepping up into the the wild card. I mean, you've got everybody's favorite teams right now in the Met. Yeah, you've got the the Carolina Hurricanes, the New Jersey Devils, both are very hot. Um, But... They're, the rest of that division are a lot of question marks. Are the Capitals too old? What are the Blue Jackets? What are the Blue Jackets doing? Are the Penguins too old? What are the Flyers doing? What are the Rangers doing? Well, the, the, Fly- or the Penguins believe that they're in the playoffs already. I kid you not, their fan base and a lot of these experts, quote unquote, already say Pittsburgh's a shoo-in. Well, can and you blame them? Look at the division. Look at the division. They've got to beat New York. They've got to beat the Islanders. The Rangers are going to fall off. The Flyers are a shit uh, crap show. Uh, the Hurricanes are the top of the taste of the town. The Devils yeah. are very good. I mean, it's it's a two horse race there between yeah. the Islanders and the Penguins. And I mean, the Caps they they fell off last year, and they're only going to keep falling off because they're not getting oh, yeah. any younger. Yeah, the Capitals are going to be helping Alex Ovechkin chase Gretzky's record. Which realistically, it, it, that's all it is. Which is that's fine to me. I'm okay with that too. With them being that team, and and you know what they they they're going to help them reach that record, and then they're going to re- yep. reload. And yeah, exactly. Fine. They they can easily do that too. With they get with what they got, they're starting to move forward for that. They're still going to sell tickets because everybody's going to want to see Ovechkin oh, get closer to that goal. Yeah. And, and oh yeah, hundred percent. And looking in the East and and comparing that to the West, I mean, the West is always once you get to playoff hockey, the West has always been that that our oh course because it's just nitty gritty hockey playoff hockey play old school playoff hockey in the western conference so you, i'm not really going to touch too much on that yeah, um, no, we'll I mean, be the, western, the western conference is the western conference but i mean realistically it, it's just you're looking you're shaping up to be a really really tough division race the atlantic is stacked as andy said and 100 and I don't think there's a bad team in the bunch as much as you guys write off Montreal. I, I mean, you're looking at 
the Stanley Cup runners-up being probably the team that on paper looks the worst. And and it's, I mean, yeah, I know you said that the Bruins are, there's nothing down the center of that team, but they're still the Bruins. They still find ways to win games because if they don't, the people in Boston will kill them on the ice. Yeah, <laughs> and, and they still they still have um, Allmark and Swayman. That, that, backs, that tandem backstop is way too good to let them fall too far. All right, here you go, Ryan. Not that I want to be that guy. But uh, I said it. We should never let Allmark go. Oh, I agree. I agree. I feel, like, I feel yeah. like that was Kevin Adams. I get it. He needed to change the face of the team, but I felt like out of the ones he let go, Allmark should have been the one he kept. Yeah. But you look at it at the time when he let him go. We still had Eichel. We were trying to figure out his stuff. We were trying to figure I out know. our identity and where we were going. We knew we need, still need to rebuild and get picks in, get prospects in, everything else. I know. So I there, know all that. you, you kind of got to find that balance in that. I know. Like, I just, that was the one I hated. Like, I hated seeing Sammy Reinhardt go too. But I get it. Like, change up and need a new scenery. But it just hurts. Especially how Omar, like, I, I don't like the Bruins. I hate the Bruins. But, like, it's hard to root against Allmark. Like, I was actually happy for him to... I wasn't happy Boston did what they did last year. We expected last year Boston to, to drop off, and they didn't. But... That's why, that's why you can't write off Boston. They're, they're going to play hard. That, that city, or they, they put on for that city, and that's what they do. Um, all right, so Sabres got Rangers, Islanders, Lightning... Flames, Islanders. Those are the next one, two, three, four, five games. You want to go six, Montreal, seven, Ottawa. What's your thoughts? Next seven games. Let's let's expand it. Let's say in the first ten for the Sabers. Okay. Um. Let's say let's say where do we see them after the first ten games of the season? Two. Um. If we're being realistic, and let's let's just fully dive into this. We're talking. That'll take us to November first. So, so where do we? So let's just go with this month alone. We'll start with this month. So we're saying Ranger. Well, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So no, we'll we'll that's nine. We'll say first ten games, which is the first ten games are uh, Rangers, Islanders, Lightning, Flames, Islanders again, Canadians, uh, Senators, Devils, Avalanche, and then Philly. Yep. So I think we see the Sabres coming out of that, if I'm being very realistic. Uh, depending on how well Levi plays, I could see them very realistically coming out of that 5-5, five and 6-4. Five, and four. Yeah, Drew? That, that's honestly what I was just thinking. 5-6. I was thinking a split between the Islander games. We should be able to sneak, sneak one. Rangers could be a coin flip. Probably, maybe a loss. Tampa, oh. Maybe a loss. Flames, we should win. Montreal should win. They got Johansson. Yeah. So, so breaking it down, my my thought process here: Rangers is a win. Islanders away is a loss. We beat Tampa at home. We lose to the Flames at home because that's a trap game. Uh, we beat the Islanders at home, so that takes us to three and two. Uh, I think we lose to Montreal three and three. I think we lose to Ottawa and Ottawa. That puts us at three and four. I think we lose to the Devils in New Jersey. That puts us at three and five. And then I think we beat the Avalanche at home, uh, cross country trip. And I think we beat the Flyers. So I think we come out of this at five and five. 
I think I think in the first ten, five and five is realistic. Um, we may be even able to sneak that sneak away from Ottawa. Maybe sneak the one against Montreal at home. Um, yeah, I just think I think that being a home game, uh, game four of a four game homestand, I think that I think that's a little bit of a trap game there. Uh, just like I thought this past weekend, and I don't want to talk about it, but the game with Jacksonville, I knew that was a trap game for the Bills before kickoff Ooh, even started. Was, we're not yeah. going to talk about that. that was, yeah, we're just going to leave it as a trap game. That and that's it. All that we got bad juju. We're not going to talk about that. Yeah, so yeah. I, I just I knew that was going to be a trap game going into it. I think that Montreal game has a trap game written all over it as well. Um, but I think I think if the Sabres can find their footing in that four-game homestand and maybe come out of it, if they come out of it three and one, I think it sets us up really well going into the real grind of November, December of the NHL season. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be real interesting to see our homestand because last year our home record oh, yeah. was atrocious. Awful. Awful. So if we can turn that around and win a handful of more games at home, be a little bit better at home, because we already know and we've proved all last year that we were going on the road. If we can start making us better at home, that'll help everything as well. So that would be nice to see. Yeah, um, I've been looking at it. I'm trying to decipher. Obviously, we're all not experts. Oh, That's no. That's why we're here. But I'm looking at six four, maybe a five five four one, five three and two, maybe. Oh, don't cop out like that. We're not counting overtime points. Just no, just give I me wins and losses. Four. I did say six four. Six and but, four. But hey, think about eight game losing streak last year. If they lost four of them in overtime. Not even. Two of them in overtime. All we needed was two losses in overtime that would have gave us thir- uh, 93 points. I'm just saying, just take it overtime. Do what Chicago did back in the day. Just take it overtime, win in a shootout. No, I'm kidding. I hate the shootout. But... I think I think it'll I think it'll be a, a conversation for another podcast. But oh yes, yes, yes. We're we're gonna we're gonna dive in, and I have a feeling it'll happen in the future. We'll dive into the three point system that I think the NHL should adopt, and I think. I will voice my strong opinions on that in a future date. And Ryan's going to go turn off now and start writing notes. <laughs> but, all right, games Tuesday. Uh, not Tuesday. Game games one Thursday. is on Thursday game at the 12th. Thursday. Yep. Sabres sure are going to be doing a thing for Rick Jennerette. Well, as they should. That's the soul. So we'll be there Tuesday for the Tampa Bay game. So I'm sure next week we'll have something to talk about. So. Absolutely. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Yep. Thank Have you. Have fun.